Hey everyone, welcome to episode 170 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hey, Chris. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. Now that, you know, we've gotten the past week behind us. <laughs> yeah, it's been a it's been a rough one for sure. I I honestly was expecting worse, so I'm I'm surprised with well, the outcome of all that. I don't know. the The worst is kind of yet to come, potentially. Well, yes, but now I don't have to deal with like CNN analyzing maps and zooming in and talking about cities and press elections, and I'm like, okay, this right. is right. You just have to deal with seventy percent of Republicans believing that we did not have free or fair elections. So you know, with no evidence to that except for their idiot elites telling them that that is what happened. So, not to be a political podcast, but I do really like the dichotomy between, um, like McConnell winning the Senate seat and being like, "All right, we need to recount all these votes. They're clearly not right, except for right. You know, we're, we're going to leave the Senate and the House votes the same, which are on the same exact on the same ballots. ballots. Yeah, <laughs> somehow. Also, you know." <laughs> If the Democrats were going to cheat, like, maybe they'd have picked up, like, one or two more Senate seats, you think? Oh, yeah, probably. Definitely. <laughs> so, just, like, really poor cheating, if if that's what happened. Yeah, I've seen better cheating at Magic tournaments. like, come on. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we need to, we need to engage uh, the services of <laughs> Alex Bertoncini. Really, really crank this operation up a notch. Be my elected official. Yes. Burton Cheney for Senate 2022. Well, just like a, you know, election stealing advisor. That's all. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so today we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, there was an arena state of the game and then I clicked on it and it's like not actually in anything. So we'll talk yeah. about arena for a, a moment, I guess. Uh, but we also had League Weekend this past weekend, which felt very soon after the previous league weekend but we had a league weekend and then we're going to talk about some legacy because we are right in the midst of the mana traders qualifying period for the legacy tournament this month so we wanted to mention it give everybody you know a little bit of a start on what's going on in the format if you want to play some legacy and i'm probably going to play some of the qualifying matches this week just so i can get some legacy in before that tournament yeah i'm gonna do the same though i have to figure out a deck to play which is always going to be the hardest part (laughs) well and i think that's kind of going to be the focus of how we talk about legacy on this episode we're just going to be exploring lists and like figuring out what strikes our fancies more than anything else i want to start with the state of the game i disappointingly clicked on expecting it to be something yeah and it's just nothing it's basically just a calendar of upcoming formats and events (laughs) Yeah, Kaladesh comes out in a couple days, and we're fixing some bugs, and we're never doing spectator mode. Yeah, and I mean, I that wasn't even on the, like, I think this was just a thing that was pointed out in response to the uh, state of the game announcement is like, hey, that once again, they did not say anything about spectator mode. And apparently in one of the like dev streams earlier this week, one of the devs was just like, yeah, we're just working on too many things. So we're not even talking about spectator mode right now. <laughs> That's really disappointing, but 
to me, spectator mode is one of those things, like, if it's not in the game when you, like, ship the game, mm-hmm. it's going to take years and years to actually get in the game. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly, like, a, a pretty tough add to the game. Like, I, I understand why it would be taking a long time at this point, but it was a tremendous oversight not to include that in the initial package. I don't think it was an oversight. I think it was just a we think we can get away with not shipping this with spectator mode because like what do we really need it for blah blah we've got to get this product out of the door money 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 the whole point from the beginning though was that this was going to be an esport like you know that's not like a new part of it that's not a an addition that they're like oh shoot it you know crap everybody's playing it and people want to watch tournaments it's like from the beginning it was like this is the way that we're going to put on tournaments like it's just so ridiculous to not have it and it, well, they're taking their cue from you know league of legends the the big esport where you know they didn't have replays for a very long time mm-hmm. there was no way to actually practice anything in the game you like couldn't make a lobby to practice stuff right, you could like only players <laughs> yeah just and play ladder, one basically. Of my, yeah, one of my favorite uh, posts explaining why, like, a sandbox was bad was because it would, like, promote toxicity when people would just tell you to practice. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like what? <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Well, I don't believe there's anybody talking about reasons that spectator mode would be a bad thing to have in Arena. And, I mean, it shows, like... You know, certainly the smaller tournament streams have struggles with it. And even like the Watsi streams, like, you know, I watched a whole match that had instead of the like match and then the opponent's hand like inset on top, they had just kind of like screwed up and pulled the inset down over. So you just had like a hand on the bottom and then another hand over that and then the game above that. So it was like very confusing to watch. And that was on the... The, the Watsi stream of League Weekend. Yeah, that's not great. I didn't catch that. Ugh, that would have been hard to, f- to keep track of who was who. It, it was. I mean, at least they were playing different archetypes. Or yeah, it, thank it was God too, it wasn't a mirror. Right, it would have been impossible. And, and you know, I don't blame the producers in any way. In, in part, that's a selfish thing because I do this sort of stuff for us and it's very difficult and I make mistakes all the time and I could see stuff like that happening on our stream but that's that only happens because the tools that they have are so rudimentary like come on i mean you know not to just beat a dead horse here but not having spectator mode in your game that you're pushing to be an esport is just egregious and and not having it on the calendar to make it happen is double egregious the the content release schedule does not help them very much either because they only have so many like man hours or devs and stuff time to work on things Mm -hmm. and they're prioritizing you know expansions the new ones that are coming out in standard and then the ones for pioneer like kaladesh and amiket yep because these things will make them more money and spectre mode doesn't right it just seems very short-sighted to me yeah no pun no, no sight puns for spectator, please. <laughs> Not really what I was aiming for. Sure, sure. Anyways, to talk about magic itself and not just complain about the shortcomings of Arena. Okay, I guess. 
So we had another league weekend this past weekend. It did feel extremely close in time to the previous league weekend, but I, you know, I don't know what scheduling concerns there are to, you know, I'm sure it's difficult to figure out exactly the weekend that this is supposed to be each time. So no, you know, it, you can't just have it on the same weekend every month, probably kind of interesting. I'd like to get your thoughts. And I have some thoughts about just sort of like, you know, the iterative process of like having this same thing happen each, each time there's a, a kind of weirdness to having it be the exact same format two weeks later and the same players playing it and it's just happening again but kind of different at the same time the things that it's doing well that 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 allows it to do i felt was like you know they they kept track of each player's total wins so far this season and i think that's really really good for like putting storylines together and one thing that I really missed that's hard to get outside of actual like tournaments happening each weekend is, you know, here's this weekend's metagame. Here's how it's different from what happened when you last tuned into the, you know, the previous episode of this. So that serialized sort of thing, you know, there's there's some really good stuff happening here. I really, really enjoy the week to week metagame shifts mm-hmm. because now that tournaments kind of feel more or less isolated from each other because there's no real star city series there's no gp circuit Uh, like the challenges on moto have always been really isolated Mm -hmm. even though that's like the same thing just because of the player base there yeah but it's nice to see the mpl league like actually me being interested in tuning in to see how things have changed week to week Mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad i'm so glad it's two weeks break or how it's not every single week to give actual time to like have adjustments go on well it's more than two weeks break usually yeah like the next league weekend isn't for uh let me check i actually have it written down here i was trying to come up with a anyways it's it's based it averages out to about like once a month or maybe a little more often than that i think this two-week gap is kind of an outlier so i like it being more often than once a month Mm-hmm. and less often than like once a week because once a week it just feels like you get really inbred yeah and you don't have time to develop things the next mpl thing is the zendikar rising championship december 4th through 6th and then there's not another league weekend until january 16th so like i don't know i i probably would prefer something a little more with a a clearer schedule for like how often these are happening to have it like two weeks in a row and then to have a month off and then there's a pro tour and then more than a month before the next league weekend happens like like yes there is gonna be i think the Kaldheim release is before that so it's like a new format so it doesn't necessarily matter that we don't have or is that when is Kaldheim releasing I thought it was the end of January. Okay. I will type in call time release date and we'll see what we get. But I'm pretty sure it's February 5th. Oh, so yeah. it'll probably be on Arena like the end of January, the 23rd. Right, right. So, so so, like the next league weekend is going to be a pretty lame duck format. And you lose, you know, the, you, you've kind of lost the thread of the storyline going into that since it's so long than, since they played it last. 
that it just seems kind of unnecessary. Uh, so, so maybe some better planning around like when they are having these things would be helpful. Remind me how the MPL worked last year because I did oh, not God. watch a single game of it, right? Well, so the, the league play last year wasn't for like staying in the MPL or anything because like I don't know that there was a way to leave the... I don't have any idea how the system worked, but it was like for buys in the invitational tournament things. Like that's what you was... got from the weekends. Was it every week that it was... they were doing it? No, I don't think so. I have no clue. They weren't like watchable, so I couldn't keep track at all. Like, like the fact that we actually are caring about this, like how often they are and when they are and stuff, is a huge like that alone is a huge upgrade over last time, where it just didn't matter because who cares? Yeah. Well, they need some sort of readable schedule now. Now that I'm actually like on the road to caring, mm-hmm. like if I can have it be every three weeks and just know what's going on, right? That's fine. That's good. I don't I don't really know or care what the frequency of this should be. It just like should be easy for a viewer to like know. Yeah. I, I don't need it to be like, okay, there's one this weekend and then in four weeks there's another one at a championship, and then in six and a half weeks there's another one. And like what is that schedule? <laughs> right, right. What this does do better than any pro system that we've had in the past is you can get pretty dialed into how like certain players are doing over the course of a season and really keep track like you know everybody wants a return to the old pro system with you know pro levels and stuff and you know it had its all all of its own flaws that people are ignoring in order to criticize the new system but like one of them was that it was all kind of invisible unless you were in the scrum like trying to hit gold or platinum like you didn't know how many pro points any given pro player had at any time, but now you can keep track of the rankings in the MPL. Like they publish them each time you see where everyone is at. And then they have them next to their names. When they put them on coverage, you can see LSV is doing really well. Like Ray Sato crushed week one, like what's going to happen week two. And you, you can keep track of their, their ranks over the season. And I think that's a really good thing to have going that, that we've actually just never had before. Yeah, it's nice, especially since like every ranking system, like even with the you were talking about the pro levels, like those two invisible too hard to tell who was doing well, Mm -hmm. Uh, even with like something more visible, like Star City's leaderboard, where you could always see who's vying for spots and stuff like a bunch of random IQs and stuff happen on weekends. You don't know until it updates like the week later and then everything changes drastically. So it's still like really weird. Yeah, true. So it's not a good representation. And I'm used to tournaments just like going to them, doing my best in it, and then it being a one-off, right? Right. So it's nice to see MPL having a sort of structure that allows you to keep track of all these stats and have like more of a league mm-hmm. structure to it. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's exactly the kind of thing that we want for lower levels too, is a sort of more permanent application of your results over the course of a season something that you can build on after each tournament not just trying to spike each individual qualifier and then spike the pt that that qualifies you for because there's no other way to do anything but we don't we don't have that yet in an ideal world i would split or maybe we can go into this like in detail later but i think i would split where guys play into like several different divisions mm-hmm. that mpl is like its own huge division at the top yeah like any sport 
where you have minor leagues and major leagues. Sure. And tournaments just like uh, GPs, Star City tournaments, FNMs, whatever. All, all these like one-off tournaments. They just help build like uh, some sort of rating, like ELO or whatever. I don't, I don't care what you actually use. There's some method that's good to use, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and have that build towards qualifying for like special tournaments. Mm-hmm. That would be like the minor league stuff. And then you can climb through there. Just so there's like discrete ranks, I think, would be sure good for how big Magic is now. Yeah. I mean, instead of just like there's just ladder play and that. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a, a whole mess under MPL and Rivals. And, like, the only way to reach the top of the mountain is to get top four of non-rivals, non-MPL players in one of these, like, Pro Tour, in one of these set championships. Like, that's the only way to get out of the scrum. And it feels like such a missed opportunity to have a more exciting system. And I I can see... Well, I'm not going to criticize them too harshly of anything they're doing in the year 2020. Mm -hmm. Because it has been... Just sure. a wild year for sure, everything. Sure. But I hope they invigorate organized play efforts like once America has passed the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a, you know, I don't see the light at the end of that particular tunnel. So what you're saying is Watsi well, will have a, a lot of time to plan, right? Which yeah, they'll surely take advantage really of. optimistic about what it means. <laughs> as far as the magic that was played over the league weekend i i think it's really really funny that there was sort of an attitude after the first league weekend of like man gruel is the best deck like this is just the best deck in the format and you know there's kind of nothing you can do like that that attitude existed about gruel that's how like gun shy that's how struck we are by like what has happened in standard over the past you know months and years is like gruel does really well on a weekend and we're like shoot i don't think there's any way to beat this deck format's over love struck beast is too big like even menguchi going into that weekend there was a lot of noise about esper doom foretold as like, you know, this deck is pretty good against Gruul. Like, probably you should play it if you want to beat Gruul. And and it looks like a lot of people are going to. And then even Menguchi tweeted out, like, I just don't think it's that good against Gruul. I don't think any deck in the format is better than, like, 51% against Gruul. And I don't think anything's favored if Gruul wins the die roll. And, like, it's Gruul. <laughs> it's, like, a terrible mana base. Only, like, able to cast its spells thanks to having a bunch of spell lands in the deck it's all creatures and like if you keep the creatures off the board it has all these dead cards it can draw like it's good it's obviously a very good deck but it's it's very exploitable it's a mid-range deck without any frills like that's what it is right that relies on untapping with a big creature like every game you have to and we saw over and over this weekend particularly the Esper Doomfortold builds were able to just like every time you cast a creature that costs three mana or more, I'm going to kill it and you're not going to untap with it. And your Ember Cleaves and your Great Henges are just going to suck real bad. Like that's how you beat them. And it happened like over and over and over. Yeah. I, I had been playing the Doomfortold deck since our last episode. I think mm-hmm. I've been playing a lot of different Doomfortold variations and it is one of the decks that I've, kept playing because initially i was pretty low on it 
but I think it's because I was losing all my die rolls. And <laughs> one of the things they don't tell you about Doom Foretold, but is really evident once you start playing it, is when you win a die roll, you feel unbeatable. Yes. The turn four Doom Foretold getting their turn three play and then screwing up their ability to make plays from there is like so much better than the on the draw turn four doom foretold where like they have two things and you're like well can't cast this it doesn't do anything often on the draw you draw your doom foretold and then you play something else like you you just have to get their board down before you can doom foretold them yeah but if you're on the play and that's where like i do see where Manguchi's coming from because when i was playing Esper Doom foretold against Gruul, it did feel like I was in the back foot if I was on the, the draw. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes your removal doesn't line up well with what they're doing, and your Doom foretolds are kind of dead. Yeah. But when you're on the play, it feels like you can't lose. Right. If you draw the card Doom foretold, like, yeah, you're just going to win. Yeah, you play an Omen or an Egg into a removal spell, and then Doom foretold, and that's it. <laughs> right. You just don't have time to play an egg on the draw a lot of the times. It feels pretty bad, and, and you got to figure something else out. Right. Um, that said, like, Gruul did pretty medium over this weekend. You know, not terrible. Like, it's still a good deck, but it was definitely getting targeted. So in the over the course of MPL and Rivals weekend, it had about a 47% win rate. So clearly not an unbeatable deck by any stretch. One thing that definitely happened here as well is the Gruul decks were forced to adapt to the mirror. And so we saw a lot of them slowing down quite a bit. Uh, the main deck, either Scorching Dragon Fires or Fire Prophecies, are probably more common because it, that has a little more utility, lets you put the second Ember Cleave or the second Great Henge on the bottom of your library. And even like a main deck, a Crowan War, you know, some stuff that is really specifically for the mirror anytime like whatever number of those cards you put in your deck like makes you that much worse against decks like esper doom foretold which were like okay with playing against the full on like every card in my deck attacks you builds of gruel and then you just have a couple of textless cards in your deck and the matchup gets worse yeah that's why I never really bought into Gruul being unbeatable. It's just a good mid-range deck, and we see yeah. Mono Green being the new kind of new mid-range deck people are playing in the, MPL. The food deck, yeah. Yeah, the food deck. Yeah, which, small sample size, but it did have a hell of a weekend over the, the MPL and and Rivals matches. Yeah, this is what, four four players playing mm-hmm. mono green food yeah and uh, yeah it's it's got like a 66 percent win rate but that's you know only four people yeah it, it came to battle against people trying to play attrition games or slow down their deck because mono green is much better at attrition than gruel is yeah and it's also very okay against esper like i think you're like reasonably favored against esper uh doom foretold out of the mono green food deck you just like kind of have too much weird value stuff especially with i mean just the combination of like goose trail of crumbs and like it's just an engine that becomes difficult for the doom foretold deck to actually do anything against yeah the doom foretold deck doesn't really have good answers to things that aren't creatures Mm -hmm. at least most of the time so cards like trail of crumbs just stick around forever as long as you 
are a creature deck and you can sacrifice those thing those creatures like gilded goose or whatever to the great hen or to zoom for told excuse me mm-hmm. you, you just end up with trail of crumbs in play and you get cards out of that and all of a sudden they have to get low on their permanents to keep doom foretold in play and the other cards they've got going on is just like shatter the sky yorion's moment of the sun tokens it's just like not doing the same thing yeah yeah just not good enough right but of course like the food deck is also very targetable you know it's a fine deck but it's it's very beatable yeah isn't didn't people stop playing that because of rogues Yes, I don't think it's very good against rogues. I mean, if you're playing like a Feasting Troll King version, sometimes you can do that. But like, I think rogues is a lot, especially like as rogues has gotten more and more well-defined in the like, you know, there's like three main ways to build it. And each of those builds have kind of gotten close to a consensus on like, what's the best default way to, to make them. And they're very focused and very powerful. And they're just gonna be more efficient than your like goose trail of crumbs deck like you can trail of crumbs all you want but like it is much more efficient to cast into the story and draw four cards and then convert those one and two mana spells that you drew than to use trail of crumbs to draw creatures and try to get them onto the board yeah and and rogues the data i'm looking at right now the slick spreadsheet thing looks like rogues is not that great but it's really just like a 50 percent, which is not that bad Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think one way to approach this format is to play rogues every single weekend and a decent number of those weekends it will be a great choice and even when it's not like you can get good matchups or you can just kind of draw well and beat people like you're not going to win every single tournament certainly but the deck is good and you as long as you understand your plans against your bad matchups too you can buy a lot more percentage points than you can think than you would think it has like some really good uh first few turn sequencing like snowballs sometimes mm-hmm. and you get to play with a bunch of throne oil drain cards so yeah you're doing good there too can't complain about that certainly the funniest thing about this matchup matrix oh that's not on this matrix what matrix did i see it on what are you thinking of? I saw maybe it was a different matchup matrix. I thought it was from this past weekend. Maybe it was including other data on it or something like that. But like just how polarized all of Rakdos's matchups were. Oh, I I know exactly what you're talking about because I saw a very similar graphic, and I think it had Rakdos as like a pretty bad underdog underdog overall. Mm-hmm. But if you looked at the matchup spread, it was just like really high highs and really low lows. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just like a, a bunch of forties and seventies. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it had to have been some weird sampling or something. Cause there's no way, I mean, rock does, does have some polar matchups, but getting a 70% consistently in a matchup is kind of unheard of. I believe that Rakdos is close to 70 against rogues to be quite honest especially I, when rogues is not built to deal with a metagame that's 20 percent plus rakdos like if you trim a cling to dust and if you don't have a good way to get like all of the mill you know if you don't have like a, a very specific plan that that you're super focused on then you're mostly just gonna lose to them what deck is rakdos 30 percent against do you remember oh it's definitely just one of the yorion decks 
I don't okay, know which yeah, one fair. specifically, but also pretty bad <laughs> against uh, mono green food. Maybe not that bad. I I'll be honest, that has that's not a matchup I've played in a while. I, I stopped playing mono green food a few weeks ago. And since then, I've only been playing ramp decks and Doom foretold. <laughs> Wicked Wolf is just like a really tough card to beat. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's impossible to even kill with Kroxa. Yes, no, it just like stands in the way, and then you get value with Trail of Crumbs that the Rakdos deck is not really able to keep up with. Also, if you are playing Feasting Troll King, that card's not really beatable for Rakdos either. <laughs> sure, I haven't seen. Decent Troll King in like quite a while ago. No, it's not good, but I do like me a Beasting Troll King. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, you know. Probably not there yet. No, probably not there yet. Well, in I'm just sorry, I'm just looking at the last deck we haven't talked about, like the Slesnia Yorion deck on mm-hmm. this um graphic. Yeah. Did really poorly. Yeah, had a really rough weekend. I, I didn't watch the matches. And I kind of want to go back and see some of them because the numbers, it's losing matchups against everything except for Demir Rogues, which is not what I would expect. Yeah, I, that's got to be just mostly a sample size thing. Yeah, I think so. There were why... three players playing Selesnya, so. Yeah, which is why looking at these numbers yeah, for sampling is like, a little dangerous sometimes because with the Yorion and with food, like there's no way these decks are 35% and 65% decks. No, like, <laughs> those aren't possible percentages to have. Like some of these are because they played one of the one match in that, like in that matchup or something like that. So they lost against Monogreen food. So it's a zero. So it's 0%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Though I will say ball lightning on Twitter, mm-hmm. JP ball, I think. He's just great. I like a lot of all the data he gives mm-hmm. to Twitter. I have him on my list with uh, him and the deckless guy, Fire Shoes, mm-hmm. Robert Taylor. One of my favorite Twitter lists to peruse. Right, just to give you updates and data on what happened over the past weekend or so. Yeah, and there's a lot of crazy deck lists too that Robert will retweet, mm-hmm. which I end up playing if I have on Magic Arena. <laughs> I, I appreciated his screenshot of his win tracker after a day of like playing all of the lists in the 6-0 deck dump and it was just like a one oh two a one oh one oh one one two like just can't win a match with a single one of these 6-0 lists from the arena dump the way yeah i saw that same tweet the way i engaged with it was a little differently because in any twitter post with an image i look at the image first then I read the tweet. Yeah. That's so cool. I looked at the tweet. Or I'm sorry, I looked at the image. And I saw Sultai Mutate. And I'm like, ooh, Sultai Mutate? What do we have to hear, see about this? And this is just like one deck mm-hmm. and like a page of nine deck boxes. <laughs> but that's the one I saw first. I'm like, I'm into it. And then I read the tweet. Tried some 6-0 lists from the mtg.gg or whatever it's called. Yeah. Deck dump just to see. And I'm like, oh no, these decks suck. And then I looked at the matchup percentages that were also in the image I had ignored earlier, and they are all like 0%. <laughs> yeah, not good decks. Not not, not good decks. That's all. Which sucks, because, man, I love me some mutate cards. Yeah. Also sucks because the 6-0 lists, as we mentioned yesterday, or last week, are the only place to get 
historic lists most of the time and uh not a good source no it's a horrible source i have to get my kaladesh lists from my own head yeah that's not a great source either to be quite honest i mean it's definitely worse than a whole network of people (laughs) i think the main takeaway here from the to get back to the mpl and league and, and rivals league weekend the main takeaway that I have is that we have a real standard format with real metagame churn that is changing over time and players are responding to what did well in a given week by either switching decks or modifying the archetype heavily. I mean, Esper Yorion is very different from Azorius Yorion, but that, that's that's still sort of like a shift in, in what you're doing. Or... They are just changing some cards and making their, you know, there's not a set gruel starting 60. Like, you can take out the Stonecoil Serpents and put in some removal spells for the mirror. Like, that's a way that you can build the deck. And so a lot of really healthy standard stuff is happening from week to week. So this is just legitimately a pretty good standard. And I will throw a bone to Wizards, like, card design briefly because i do like that there's enough viable choices like especially gem razor is like one of my favorite cards in a standard format because it's a fine card but not a great one but it's really good sometimes Mm -hmm. because there are some good enchantments people are including in the deck or some good artifacts and it's nice to see when card choices like that can matter yeah as opposed to you know the ban list being nine cards or whatever yeah once we get past all that (laughs) Yeah, so this standard has been pretty cool. It's been pretty fun to watch and, and definitely fun to see how it's different from week to week. And I appreciate the way that the League Weekends let us see that. And I am a little bummed that it's such a long break, like a month until the PT analog and then more than a month from that until the next League Weekend. And, you know, we'll fill it in, find other stuff to watch. But it's kind of nice to keep track via like one storyline and and like what does this group of players do each week like that is a fun and cool thing to have access to so when is the uh set championship what week of december the second week the that is december 4th through 6th because that's the first weekend of december okay and that is both standard and historic and we won't have much context for the historic part of that tournament and kaladesh will be legal then too right so it'll be a pretty new format probably okay okay cool can that deck some aetherwork marbles aetherworks marvel decks i think we'll probably i'll be doing quite a bit of aetherworks marvel exploring I will be too. Do you know you can spin into turn timber symbiosis? Yes, I did. Know and then that. get another spin? Yeah, yeah. Not quite as good of a spin. You don't get to exile two permanents, but you do get an Ulamog, so you have really good odds of putting an Ulamog into play if you have. Or you whiff and put a big rogue refiner into play. <laughs> that's a pretty hard whiff. If you miss on the Etherworks Marvel and then miss like you know, that's you're looking at what, thirteen cards between the two? Yes, and I've whiffed with lower chances. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm gonna. It's gonna happen to me at some point. You're looking at I'll a screenshot of your deck four of four of like you. You can certainly whiff off of that. Though you know, once it happens to someone, I'm, I'm sure people will just yell on Twitter that it should never happen. 
<laughs> forgetting the fact that whenever you you know cast Ulog on turn three or four, it feels terrible. Yes. Yeah. Dumb. I I don't know. I I definitely hope that Etherworks Marvel like. I would love if the energy mechanic stuff is playable, but not if the way that you do it is to do Etherworks Marvel. I, I think that the main thing holding Etherworks Marvel back, though, would be like that the energy cards aren't good enough. So if the energy cards are good enough, it's probably Marvel, but we'll see. Yeah, I think so too. I have a story about playing Etherworks Marvel in like at just FNM. Mm hmm where i played against someone who's like getting back into standard or just starting standard i can't remember which it was uh but this is the first standard they'd played in a while yeah and i'm playing the horrible deck emrigal is banned so i turn four ulamagam kill him <laughs> he'd never seen it before Ugh. so he's like well, that seems unfair and then i did the same thing in the second game and much to my surprise, his reaction was not, this is horrible, I hate this. Which was honestly how I felt doing it to him. Yes. <laughs> uh, his reaction was, wow, that's so cool. It's like, cool, you can do that. I mean, and kind of, yeah, I think it is cool, like, mm -hmm. the first few times it happens. But when it happens, like, most turn fours, <laughs> right. it, it's, uh, it stops being so cool. <laughs> Yeah. And that's how I feel about energy in historic if it gets to that point. Like Muxus was like didn't end up being that big a deal, but when every historic game came down to like throwing a Muxus on turn four, it was really boring. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, Yasharn does not stop Etherworks Marvels, so Stops you from sacrificing Woodweaver's puzzle knot though. It does, but maybe a little <laughs> late for that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> If you are slow rolling the sacrifice of the Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot to get your extra energy, you might get punished, though. That's just good play. Come mm -hmm. on. Oh, you want to dive into some legacy? Yeah. So I think for this, I, our, our attack is mostly going to be, you know, I have not been playing legacy. I've been watching it when I can, but I'm certainly no expert on it. Definitely going to get in as many matches as I can over the next week or so in prep for, although I guess I'm not actually planning on doing commentary. For this tournament so it is less important that i do it but i'm probably still gonna do it a little bit so i just kind of wanted to take a look at the legacy format to give us some context and we'll just like talk about the decks and this is basically just a let's look at some decks and figure out what we want to try out over the next couple of days yeah I'm, I'm in the same exact boat for reference i have not played any legacy since you know quite a while and then i'm kyle have to figure out a deck to play this week to figure out mm -hmm. kind of the, the new format. Yeah. So luckily, I don't think much has changed since, no. you know, two, three months ago. It, it really has not. It doesn't seem like it has. Um, the main tournaments that I have pulled to look at are, we had the Lotus Box Legacy Tournament this past weekend, and then there was, as always, a Legacy Challenge. Um, two Legacy Challenges, but I think I only linked one here on the sheet guess we can start by talking about the mono blue deck it did get second in the lotus box tournament and pretty much every time i put on a legacy stream that's the list that they are playing is they're playing the mono blue karn echo of eons deck 
and yeah with urza and a million zero drop artifacts yeah and it's always either just like barely winning or i mean the you know the end of the game it always looks like it's way ahead because you lock your opponent out and then draw seven cards or whatever but as far as the actual game itself goes it's it either like barely gets there or it gets like absolutely crushed and that seems to be what happens a lot with it uh, yeah i like this deck because of the cards it plays but it is one of those decks where you're playing a legacy deck with highly highly cost efficient cards and you're playing a bunch of three drops and a bunch of four drops mm-hmm. like echo of aeon's sight narset are all three drops and Karn and urza are both four drops and there's four of each of those yeah four of all of them yeah and i mean at least urza refunds you but you still have hands that are just like can't cast any of this stuff yeah draw your opener get some baubles and urza and narset a Karn and echo you're like ah i had a lion's eye diamond we'd be off to the races yeah but i don't so we're shipping it yeah you draw an echo of eons on a draw step and it's just like this is just a blank card until I find Lion's Eye Diamond. Yeah, that is the only way to discard it. There's no like Faithful Sliding or Careful Sliding or anything like that. It's just Lion's Eye Diamond. Yeah, there are Force of Wills in the board. So, you know, sometimes that's a blue card for that. But I, I've i seen a lot of Echo of Eons just kind of lounging in people's hands, waiting and hoping to do something. And... I've also seen a lot of like, yeah, I guess we can Lion's Eye Diamond Echo of Eons here, but like your opponent has, you don't have a Narset out yet and your opponent only has like three or two cards left in their hand. They draw a new seven in Legacy. Yeah. And and it's just like, this is the combo. This is what we were like trying to do. If you have a Chalice out turning their stuff off, then fine. But you don't always like it's hard enough to put together lion's eye diamond and echo of eon it's not hard to put them together but it is a two-card combo yeah it's definitely good because sometimes you just have those hands where you go off Mm -hmm. like you lotus petal lion's eye diamond you can emory's not the good part but you can like put a narset in play early then echo like on turn two or three Mm -hmm. and then the game's just kind of over from there which is why the deck is good but it really struggles sometimes in these long games. Right. No, it, it for sure has its upside, and I can see absolutely why people are drawn to the deck. But it has a number of different fail states, and the fail states are like... Either they feel really bad, or they're just like really embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it's it feels kind of like dredge fail states to me, mm-hmm. where instead of, you know... Like modern dredge, not legacy dredge. Yeah. Where they play a ley line on turn one, and all of a sudden you play out like two mana one ones and three mana one two flyers. And that's like pretty embarrassing, but at least you're trying to do something. Mm-hmm. This deck is less embarrassing. You like play Psy, Emery, and Urza. But that, that's just not the same power level legacy has. And your fail state isn't your opponent playing hate cards. It's just you drawing poorly. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen walking ballista come in against infect i mean the walking ballistas in the sideboard are like really good in several different matches but i saw them in particular in one match come in against infect and it was you know pretty hilarious it was incredible yeah yeah, the 
you're able to get them as two twos out quickly enough given that you are an ancient tomb deck with additional mana sources as well that it really embarrassed the glistener elf side of the table and you oh. also have emery to rebuy the walking ballistas after you've killed off their stuff with them i really like emery uh because it's just a really cool card but this is not a real Emery deck. Like, Emery is in this deck as a concession to not being able to do your game plan all the time. Mm-hmm. Where you have to keep using Emery to get back pieces to try and put together your combo again. Mm-hmm. But it's not, like, really doing anything for you. Yeah. Does that I make mean, sense? You have six baubles, but yeah. the thing is that this isn't, you know, the Urza Emery deck in Modern, when Oko was legal and Mox Opal was legal... You were a Jund deck, just doing Jund better than Jund ever did, and Emery was your Dark Confidant. But this deck isn't playing a mid-range game like that, where drawing an extra card every turn is just going to completely bury your opponent under answers and and unbeatable three-mana threats. Like, this deck is trying to dump its hand on the table and then lock your opponent out of the game. Like, drawing an extra card each turn kind of can help you get to that point, but it's not inherently you know drawing two cards off of an emery and then they're like okay i found my removal spell i'm down cards this sucks like you didn't actually do anything in this deck when that happened and and sometimes you just hit like karnans and blue cards and a lotus petal and all of a sudden you're like emery is on lotus petal which is just not a card mm-hmm. sometimes it brings back a lion's eye diamond lets you like echo again and stuff oh yeah yeah so i'm not, I'm not saying emery's bad it's yeah. obviously like a good card especially when it hits lion's eye diamond or Chalice of the Void, I think, was the best card you can get off of it. Right. It's just not actively engaged in your, like, A plan with the deck the way that it was in the, like, Urza Emery Oko decks. Yeah. Anyway, enough about the first deck I'm going to try in Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, you know, all of these decks are decks that we've seen before. The funny thing here about the Lotus Box tournament is that there's just no Teamer Delver in it. At all? I I just don't... I think we see the first one. I assume this one at... 57th? Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I just saw Blue, Red, Green at 39th place, but no, that's, uh, that's a didgeridoo deck, so... <laughs> yeah, I saw that deck. <laughs> it's oh, pretty great. It's not that deck. I've seen, like, three or four different didgeridoo builds oh this is a different didgeridoo deck that i was thinking yeah this is a mono red like punishing fire didgeridoo deck i've seen i there's just like several different didgeridoo builds i mean they're all chalice decks but yeah it's because of the um morag card and zendikar rising i think because that seems to be the common element. It's just like a 6-mana six 6-6 six, six that gives you extra combat steps whenever you play a land. Yeah. Uh, the one I was thinking of, the one I saw, was a Painter Servant Didgeridoo deck. I've seen that, yeah. Where it was just a Painter deck, but it had Didgeridoo, some artifact synergy, and just some Minotaurs. Yep. Uh, Setheron is also very, very good. This is from... Oh God, what is it even from? uh well if i click it i'm sure it'll tell me jumpstart of course yes of course. jumpstart uh so this is a five mana four four when it 
or another non-token minotaur enters the battlefield under your control create a 2-3 red minotaur token and has like two and a hybrid black red to give your minotaurs plus one plus oh gain menace and haste until end of turn but it like puts a surprisingly large amount of power and toughness into play pretty quickly in a didgeridoo deck and and like this is one of those formats where you like have good answers to things but big creatures especially when they come along with a buddy are like pretty good yeah this does plow bolt like yeah like the four four dies to plow mm-hmm. the the two three dies to bolt but you can't get both of them with one card yep because i've seen it with a big boros minotaur that like oh screws the up. one from gate crash right? yeah the one from gate crash that screws up combats like forces a creature to attack or block and makes a creature unable to attack or block boros battle shaper yeah that's the it. one that's it at the beginning of each combat up to one target creature attacks or blocks this combat if able to and up to one target creature can't attack or block this combat it's a seven mana five five yep so yeah so there's a big enough selection of huge minotaurs and it's good enough to put them into play with didgeridoo that there are game like it's i like this isn't a real deck i don't believe but i've definitely seen it win matches because putting these things in didgeridoo is one mana a one mana artifact and it has an activation cost of three to put a minotaur from your hand into play does it tap I, it must tap right? no it doesn't tap it doesn't tap i mean it does not tap but you probably you know rarely do this twice in a turn so it like gets around a lot of counter magic and it just sort of ether vials in gigantic gigantic minotaurs <laughs> so if you want to do this like i'm not stopping you like feel free not you particularly if a if, if a listener wants to didgeridoo some minotaurs into play you know i will never stop anybody from doing that yeah personally my stance is not to play cards from homelands <laughs> that's worked out pretty well for me so far <laughs> so i'm gonna keep doing that but you know it's definitely one of the most powerful tribal cards ever printed it's on the reserve list too right it just can't be reprinted probably i think it's from homeland so it has to be yeah anyway delver yeah delver the darling of legacy yeah so I can't really tell you why I am not a legacy master enough to understand like what happened in this mega metagame to make team or Delver not do well at all. Or just not show up in this tournament. I mean, maybe like clearly just like nobody played it because this was actually only an 89 person tournament and we can see all 89 players deck lists. So Basically, there just was no Team or Delver registered in this tournament. There, there, there were like three lists or something like that. Yeah. So, There's a bunch in the challenge, which matches up with what I expect from Legacy. Right. So when people play Delver, it does well. You know, there's more Team or Delver lists in the top nine in in the challenge than there are in the entire Lotus Box tournament. So uh, rest assured, this deck is still very good. Uh, all of these, I assume, are, yeah, four Dreadhorde Arcanist lists. Four Dreadhorde Arcanist, three Okos, four Delver of Secrets as the main threats, and then, you know, a little bit extra spice if you want some Hooting Mantles or something like that. Yeah, that's a deck I don't think has changed very much. I'm never, never a Delver player, so mm-hmm. it, it's just a great deck yep. that I'm not interested in. So, So I think that there's some neat stuff going on. I think that one of the defining parts of Legacy right now is the fact that 
the the blue decks are playing more than four forces and that really hurts a lot of the combo decks abilities to exist in the format generally um one specific card interaction that i've seen some that i think is really really cool is out of the snoko decks a uh, ground seal is really powerful this is one in a green enchantment when it enters the battlefield you draw a card and cards and graveyards can't be the targets of spells or abilities so it plays a dual role in some matchups of protecting your uro from getting targeted by graveyard hate and it also sort of ruined Halos all of their Dreadhorde Arcanists, which is their best card against you. Except for Oko, oh, but you yeah. have Oko's as well. But I hadn't thought of that. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Huh, I'm surprised it's actually worth the slot. But yeah, if it works, it works. Yeah. I mean, I think that in that matchup, like getting out an Uro is a big enough deal that the combination of turn off your best threat and protect my Uro's and you know on a card that draws a card even though it is two mana is like good enough to have a copy i see a surprising amount of elves in the challenge yeah there's so much elves i think that maybe because it is one of the combo decks that doesn't get exposed to force of forces at all really right because of allosaur shepherd yeah even even original flavor of force does not hit your creatures once you have allosaur shepherd in play it doesn't also shepherd protect everything, even glimpse of things. Oh, yeah, it protects all your green spells. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, well, once Allosaurus Shepherd is gone, you can you can even resolve glimpse of nature, or natural order, or whatever. Yeah. And that that card's a a big deal for these elf decks. Yeah. I mean, they're all playing four of it. it. It's just really, really important. The fact that it also can't be countered, like no matter how stacked their hand is, you know, they have to kill this thing in order to interact with your stuff on the stack. It's also like kind of Crater Hoof Behemothy, mm-hmm. where you do have to untap with a board and it, but then it kills them. It gives you an outlet for all your mana. Right, right. So it's a real card in addition to being a hoser for their, all of their counter spells. Like it's also just, I'll dump my mana into this and win the game. Yeah, it's a really, really good card. Yeah. And that's why it, it did first in the challenge. It's got two more copies in the top 16. There's, It's kind of littered throughout. I will be trying elves because it's a a deck. Of, well, maybe Alistair Shepherd is pretty expensive on Magic Online, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jumpstart. It huh? is one I definitely should not overlook. No, definitely not. Uh, Slivers took third in the challenge. Yeah, that's. I'm not gonna play that. No, I'm sure whoever did that is just a Slivers mastermind, and I'm not that. And it's, I mean, it's pretty much what you would expect. Either Vile, Force of Will, and then 32 Slivers, including three Unsettled Mariners. Yeah, still counts as a Sliver. It's a sliver. You're going to have the, the couple of, I guess there's only one good old Sliver, right? It's just a Crystalline Sliver and a Muscle Sliver. Yeah. Well, Hibernation Sliver. Oh, yeah, 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 that one's good too. Oh, that one's really good with Aether Vile. Each Sliver gains pay two life, bounce it. I, I like that. There's only one good one mana sliver, which is Gale Rider Sliver, which is like also kind of medium, but it's it gives your slivers flying. And then you just have like I gotta have other one mana slivers, and so you get these completely unplayable striking sliver, one mana one one gives your slivers first strike, and sidewinder sliver, one mana one one, all slivers have flanking. Well, yeah. I mean 
I just pulled up a list of all the one mana slivers in Magic. There are only eight. Uh huh. And those are the best ones. Oh yeah. Like, you could you could make an argument for Screeching Sliver, which is much worse than Sidewinder Sliver. Uh, Screeching Sliver just gives all slivers the ability to tap to, to mill. one. Yes. But it is a blue card. Yeah. These are all more or less metallic slivers, which is an artifact sliver that has no abilities. It it, it does have an ability. It counts, it as, a counts sliver. as a sliver. I don't believe that text is on that card anymore. No, but it's like I, I like that old text mm-hmm. that like clarifies what the creature type is in the text box. Yes. It's pretty funny on some of them. Especially some of the old legendary creatures. Yeah, you know. Counts as a cleric rogue. Wizard and Warrior. Yeah, of course. Tajuru Preserver. Classic old card. But no, Slivers is not my... It's not a very satisfying type of deck to play. I don't think it's the kind of magic that I am super into these days. It's also not like a legacy deck. It is in the sense that you're playing legacy cards, but you're just playing, honestly, a block-constructed deck with Aether Vial, which you can play in Modern. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can only really play it in modern because there's no slivers in any other format. But it's not different. Like it's not playing brainstorm or I mean, it is playing force of will, but just because you have to, because you have to, right? It. right? It's not like you're you're leveraging your force of will and you're like seventy sliver counter wars or whatever. Right, right. This isn't counter slivers, which was a really cute deck. Like that's not what's happening here. This is just humans in modern with sliver painting on it well not really it doesn't disrupt your opponent in any way it's just you have a lot of lords it's slivers with sliver painting on it yes it's merfolk it's it's like it's merfolk basically the the snow decks are still doing well for themselves oh yeah absolutely they're not winning everything they're just present Mm -hmm. as far as i can yep they are pretty fine astrolabe oko is always going to be decent uh, i like this lands deck from the top eight of the challenge it has two valakit explorations in it which makes a lot Do of you... sense in an exploration deck <laughs> yeah it, once you get more explorations it's pretty good mm-hmm. i wonder if i need to reread this card because i it has not seen any play yeah, once you can start doing two a turn, that's pretty good, yeah. actually. Yeah, when you're getting this when you're triggering this multiple times and when it flipping a land is good for you, the way that it is if you have exploration in play, like th- this is a pretty powerful card in this deck. I mean it's only a two of, you can't play a bunch of these threes that and like exploration is the best card in your deck already. Like if you have one out, you tend to be in good shape, all of your cards work better. But you know, this is this is still a pretty nice card. This is a card I would really like to see play out. It's like you said, when Exploration is already in play, you're doing your thing. So I'd really like to see how Valka Exploration adds dimensions to the deck that don't include the card Exploration. I, I would like to see exactly like what happens in the games with it. That, that's that's interesting. Like It is pretty cool just as a an alternate sort of win condition. It is going to kill your opponent eventually. Or it's just going to, like, give you huge amounts of card advantage. And it, it does get you closer to, you know, it gets you at least one card closer to the exploration each turn that you don't have an exploration in play. So. I like that it kills more efficiently than Punishing Fire. Yes. Especially when you don't have to, like, 
punishing fire leovold down and give them cards and then you can just you know valka exploration and it's fine yeah i mean you know you have field of the dead as in addition to your dark depths so like this deck isn't like hurting for ways to deal lethal damage to your opponent but uh hogak still around you know nothing I've too exciting about this deck nothing but bad things about hogak <laughs> In that it's just kind of a high roll deck, yeah. Where you, you just really are showing up to hope no one has graveyard hate, but not win as often as if you had played Reanimator instead in the same <laughs> press. <laughs> but that said, uh, I mean Hokak. Yeah, I mean if you like playing it, it's probably fine. I actually do like playing Hokak. Yeah, I mean you can definitely do it in this format. The, you know, the main awkward thing about Hogak in Legacy, I think, is that unlike in Modern, when Hogak was unbeatable in Modern, like, you had to be playing Surgicals and stuff game one because they were the only cards in Modern that interacted with the cards in Hogak. But the cards in Legacy, some of them just naturally do. Like, you can daze an Altar of Dementia, you can Force of Will a Hogak, and if you're, like, attacking them with Delvers or something, or you get Oko out or whatever, like, and control the things that matter, then there are ways to win these game ones with normal legacy magic cards, and that didn't exist in Modern. Which is why I made the comparison with Free Animator, right? Yeah. Because Hogak is a deck that really dies to Graveyard Hate, in addition to sometimes losing its normal magic games. Mm -hmm. Whereas Reanimator doesn't play normal magic games it's just gonna kill you right or mulligan to four and then lose to a four kill itself yeah yeah <laughs> any any legacy decks catch your eyes because i see some storm decks but i'm not interested in playing storm because of the proliferation of all these forces right and veil of summer legacy storm is not it doesn't have a payoff to me to put the time into learning how to play that deck you know I've put a fair amount of time into playing Delver already, so I can pick up Delver and play some matches and at some point, like, get to a level of competence with it. Storm is a... Any iteration of Storm has its own ins and outs, and I haven't played very much Ad Nauseam Tendrils, and there's just no reward for me putting in the, like, 10 hours it takes to feel like I'm playing the deck at, like, 70% or whatever. Like... That the, there's just no reason for me to do that. I I feel that the the problem I have with it, why I'm not considering it, because I actually really do like playing Storm. I'm not particularly strong with it because I just haven't played it very much. Yeah, but uh, it's one of those decks where, like, playing it and sequencing correctly, you learn a bunch game, or at least I do, mm -hmm. learn a bunch game to game. Yeah, and it is I think really rewarding in itself to play. But it becomes less so, like, in the current environment when I'm losing, like, 90-plus percent of my games. Right. <laughs> yes, so I know, and there's no payoff for it because it's just not that good of a deck. Sure. I'm mostly talking about just given the amount of legacy that I do get to play, like, it's just a complete misallocation of my legacy matches to spend a bunch of time on a Storm deck that I'll never become truly competent with. Since, like, if I were preparing for an important legacy tournament, then yeah, it would be worth putting some time in to see, like, am I wrong about this? Is this deck fine? 
like can i get competent with it and then start beating some stuff but given that i'm mostly playing legacy for fun and for exploration uh and i think that the storm deck rewards mastery in a way that very you know every deck you want to practice with and get good with but this deck rewards like specialization in a way that other decks kind of don't yeah it's the legacy storm decks like all the variations of them are some of the few decks in magic where you're just like the difference between someone picking up the deck and someone who's played it for like two years straight mm-hmm. it's a massive gulf right when when you see somebody like infernal tutor for a second brainstorm in a hand that has a number of cards in it and then you're like oh god i'm just not ready for to play this deck i should never pick this up yeah and it's really cool when you're like on the other side and you figured out that's the thing you need to infernal tutor for this game mm-hmm. because there's a lot of strengths to like having that mastery of the deck and Storm is one of the decks you can get that with, but yeah, I, I'm just I, not going to put just in so that hard. kind of time. <laughs> See, I would I, if I played any amount of Legacy like consistently. I just don't. Right, and and that's the thing is that I don't play enough Legacy to make that time investment pay off in any real way. But I'll probably play a couple leagues with it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't stop myself. All right, well, let me know when you do, and I'll, I'll burn them for sure. Oh, no, that's going to be terrible. I'm going to be so bad. I I don't know. And, and yeah, I'll let you know. I, I, <laughs> I won't know better. I'll just be like, boy, yeah, we, we definitely won for that league, and I have no idea what we could have done better. Ooh, we won a match? That's great. It's yeah. better than expected. I mean, it... It gets those hands where you just empty it out in Infernal Tutor after duressing them or whatever, and you win. Whew, okay, perfect. Great. Like, those happen, but a lot of the games are way harder than that. Most of the games I've played are way harder than that. Yeah. yeah. What are you looking to, to play your your first couple leagues with? Uh, I mean, I'll probably start out with Delver. Sure. Solid, reasonable choice. I have not played much for Dreadhorde Arcanist Delver, so, you know, I want to do that a little bit because it seems really good and then i'll probably play some elves yeah i'm i'm, I'm looking for elves too like I, the karn deck or not like the karn deck the Aeon, echo of aeons deck mm-hmm. the elves deck and storm are probably what i'm going to start with and i might try death and taxes too yeah just because i hear rumblings that that deck is really good right now mm-hmm Sure. And I don't know the validity of them, or even if I'm going to be proving anything by playing it, but it will give me a handle on like the new builds people are playing. Yeah, we don't see much of them in either of these tournaments, but I know that it won you know, a challenge the other week, and yeah, okay, there's a couple copies in the Lotus Box tournament. It, it, healthy representation. One in the top eight, and certainly getting, getting Skyclave Apparition is a huge bonus. I see a test deck, an Epic Storm deck in the challenge. If you're going to play a Storm deck, I would probably steer you away from the one with a bunch of artifact mana in it in the Karn, like Echo, when everybody's like trying to play Echo of Eons and Karn. I don't know how often Karns are actually in play against you, but I just don't really want Chrome Mox if that's going to happen. Well, I think that's one of the better decks. Like, hmm, it's interesting because I could see that matchup going either way, right? 
Because it's not like the Karn deck has that much permission or is really doing anything to stop you at all. Right. And the Epic Storm deck is so fast. Yeah, so maybe it just, like, is fine anyways. But I have to imagine that the other Storm deck, that Ant is just better in that matchup. But it doesn't, probably not meaningfully. You're probably right. Yeah, it's probably more of a what you're comfortable with. Usually when people pick the Storm deck they play, Mm -hmm. they like the version they've picked, especially in Legacy. Yeah, yeah. So I imagine the person who got 7th in the challenge is just prefers right, that just version yeah. more so than like is analyzing the matchup matrix you know for sure anything else you want to mention from legacy anything caught your eye no i've, I've hit all the, the things i wanted to hit okay there was that weird didgeridoo deck we already talked about but yeah you know, i will probably play a little bit with a didgeridoo <laughs> deck of some sort I'm not I'm not in for didgeridoos. I would be more excited about it if like I had thought of it and like nobody had done it yet and then oh. I was just like, ooh, what if we made didgeridoo work? But you know, other people have had their fun and explored it, so I kinda don't really need to. I might play a league with a painter deck because mm-hmm. I it's one of the legacy decks I've played in paper a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the decks I like kinda like. Sure. So I'll I'll try that out. I don't think it's done anything really. But it's a deck that pops up every now and then but by just winning something. Sure. <laughs> and it never really places in any other spot. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's one person in the tournament playing it, and maybe they just spike completely. Well, cool. Then I think we can get to our Patreon question. This is a this is a fun one. Okay. So Ian asks, what are your favorite basics to play with? Okay. Um, I generally lean towards the Mirage basics. I think that there's just like several very pretty arts and I really like zebras on my lands. The problem with the Mirage basics is that the forests are all hideous and that's a pretty big mark against them if you end up playing green in standard as has been the case very often. So that is a problem, but the other four basics all have really, really beautiful arts on them that i like a lot so sometimes i just like say whatever and play the the mirage forest so that i can play the other mirage lands in my deck have you supplemented your mirage forests with like urza saga forests or anything like that yeah i could do that but there's some part of me i I just really like having the same set symbol on all of my basics for no good reason it's just a thing that i like doing but I, i could certainly do that because I've criticized the Mirage Forests before. They they do not look no, they don't as look good, good as the other four. Yeah. What about drafts? Like, do you just oh, pick land box. whatever basics are in your lands? Yeah. Okay. I because I, I don't want to deal with like sorting stuff out after like it's just like too many. It's a too many step process to bring lands to the draft and put them in my deck and take them out of my deck. I, I'm not interested in that process. I play with a lot of different basics because there's a. Usually the art I'm looking forward to in sets is generally going to be the basic art. Mm-hmm. So I'll play with a bunch of different basics. For standard, I've I play mostly with the Ravnica Guild Kit lands, which have the fancy mm. like mana symbols in their box that are like all guild themed. Sure. And I have a bunch of different ones of those that I can mix and match depending on like what colors or theme I'm going for or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
which is neat if I like a particular basic land. Like uh, in Kaladesh, I really liked the, the Swirly Island, and there's a mountain with some doves on it. Mm-hmm. I really liked those two, so I just played with those a bunch. Uh, Eldraine has a like a, a pretty castle forest and uh, the Witching Well Yeah, I know island. what you're talking about, yeah. Those are both really, really good, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I pretty much just will play with any basic in standard. Sure. Once we get to, like, Modern or Pioneer, I just pretty much play with unstable basics at this point. Legit. Because they're available and nearby, and I don't have to, like, resleeve them or do anything. Because sure. I typically double sleeve modern decks and i don't do that for standard right so, so you gotta have to play with like lands for those yeah. those things sure but if i have a deck i really like playing in modern and i know i'm gonna play it for a really long time like kci i had a, a mirrored in forest in my kci deck because it matched and so i'll do that sure that, that, that also makes sense. side note the mirrored in forests are terrible they're they're just bad in my cube, there's a Scars of Mirrodin Forest by, I think, Mark Tadine. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But it's the only good forest in all of the <laughs> Any of the Mirrodin stuff, yeah. <laughs> Just truly horrendous forests in that entire plane. I don't know what they were doing. It's disappointing, yeah. Oh, I also wanted to... One of my favorite mountain arts is from Euphorexia. It's the Coldofa uh, one with the phyrexianized great furnace with the sun in the background Mm, sure which i didn't realize was apparently a really popular mountain were they like expensive or hard to find they are actually both of those things (laughs) 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 like the normal versions like a dollar or two something i was not willing to pay for For like a bulk of lands and the foils are like 80 dollars or something crazy like that well i guess you have good taste or the crowd has good taste I don't know. It is a very pretty mountain. I like that mountain a lot. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I can have not it. gotten to play with it since it was standard legal and I just had a bunch of them, yeah. but I don't know where they are anymore. Aww. Well, cool. That's probably enough talk about basic lands, but th- yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think about them as much as you do, certainly, but I do try to get ones that like make me kind of happy to look at generally if I don't have like the specific ones that I, I tend to use. Um. It's, it's just because I get bored doing the same right. thing over and over again. Sure. Whereas you don't as much. No, not really with my basics. Because I just don't want to put the energy into that part of it. I kind of just want to grab like some decent looking matching ones. Generally the Mirage ones because I have them out. So that's usually what happens. Yeah. I have some Mirage mounds on my desk here. Or maybe they're on the floor now because I knocked them off. So, but I'm familiar. Yeah. It's really the plains, the islands, and the swamps that like I'm really into. But yeah. But some oh, you don't like the purple mountain? The purple That's ma- like one of my favorite The ones. purple mountain is good. But but the mountains, you know, the mountains are mountains mostly. And the, you know, the plains have zebras on them. And, st- you know, like there, there's like extra things in some of the the swamps and, and plains and islands that make them kind of special looking. And the, that like kind of ticks my boxes a little bit. They have distinguishing features. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like little memorable aspects to them. Yeah, but that's going to be it for us for this week. Just kind of a casual sort of uh, look at stuff rather than delving really deep into anything in particular. That'll be that'll be next week or something. Yeah. 
If you want to lend us some support, you can head over and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. And don't forget that Mana Traders is running right now. The qualifying period for Legacy this month ends on November 17th. So if you haven't qualified and you'd like to play, go ahead and get some matches in. And maybe, you know, maybe we'll play against each other because I'm what some of my Legacy matches are definitely going to be in the qualifier because I don't have to pay ticks to play those. So. Come crush me, yes. playing Storm. <laughs> you will you will be advantaged if you play against me in Legacy, probably. Although yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a totally reasonable Delver player, so that that's the deck that I certainly win with the most in Legacy. Yeah, I think that's it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, catch the live stream. Uh, we will be streaming that tournament uh, the 21st and 22nd. So definitely tune into twitch.tv slash manatraders and watch us cover the tournament. I will probably not be in the booth. I will be, you know, manning the... I'll, I'll be taking a producer role and and manning the back room. But Lee will be on there. And Anurag and Jarvis and Collins will be... I'll be doing some... Covering some matches. So it should be fun to watch. Yep, should be fun to cover too. Legacy's great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I have, I didn't mention this during our talk about Legacy, but I've definitely heard some complaints from some people about how Oko heavy the format is and how a lot of the games are very samey based on that and, and how it's like definitely sort of the combination of Oko in the format and being able to run six or seven forces in your deck is like reducing the variety of decks you can play by a significant amount but i don't know i feel like we saw a significant amount of different stuff but you know we'll keep seeing how that plays out i i always have to keep those kind of complaints from the legacy crowd as take it with a grain of salt you know Mm -hmm. right because they're almost always always about new cards Mm mm-hmm and no one really considers to think about how samey like brainstorm, brainstorm wasteland are. Right. And it's just like, uh, I mean, yeah, but we're used to that, right? Is it this the same thing? Yeah. So like, we'll see what the actual variety is as we go forward. For sure. Yeah, that's it for us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week. Bye.